Hello and welcome to the pod World Travelled. I'm Penny Thomas. In the studio with me today is our travel editor, Stephen Scalfield, who has just got back from North India. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thanks, Penny. Um, In today's episode, we're going to be talking about North India and the Golden Triangle, which is Delhi, Agra, Jaipur. Um, It's sort of all the places that most people have on their bucket lists for India, would you say? Absolutely. You know, obviously the Taj Mahal in Agra is, is the draw card. And this Golden Triangle, as you say, Delhi, Agra, Jaipur gives you, you know, three points which in this triangle which give you a really good view into India. You know, you've got Delhi, the big, big city, Agra, um, as we say, you know, Taj Mahal and, and, and the marble inlaying that goes on which is related to the Taj Mahal and then Jaipur which is just this beautiful pink city, fabrics, amber fort. So it's a great mix. Yeah, wonderful. And it's a place that you've actually been to quite a few times. So I'm sure you've got lots of tips for anyone listening um, that has it on their bucket list. Um, Let's just start off with some fast facts about North India. Um, Firstly, most travellers will fly to Delhi, which um, has sort of a population of 34 million people, which is just hard to imagine when you come from somewhere like Perth in Australia. Um, The whole subcontinent of India has a population of 1.4 billion and as of June 2023, it was the world's most populous country um, and it's the seventh largest by area. Uh, the people there are mainly Hindus, um, but you also get Muslims, Christians, Jains. Sorry, Stephen, did I say that correctly? Jains? Yes. Jainism is, is a form of, is an offshoot of Hinduism. Okay, right. Well, let's just say Jains are sort of very committed Hindus, so they don't eat anything that and can reproduce. So no nuts, no seeds, and nothing that grows beneath the ground. So there's a lot of leaves involved, but very good traders. Okay. Um, The official language, I guess, in India is Hindi, but the second official language is also English. And in most cities and bigger towns, that's just what, you know, everyone sort of speaks. Uh, The best time to visit India, um, weather-wise, is between October and March, when it's cool and dry. sort of outside the monsoon season and from December and January it can be quite chilly in the north of India so that's something to, to keep in mind also look out for festivals so Diwali the festival of light happens in November and it can be quite a busy time there so you were there just recently in November yes it's interesting isn't it because well we've just, you've just been talking about population there so about 800 million Indians live in rural areas. So 70% of the population live in rural areas. A lot of them in quite remote areas. In North India, in the, the west of Rajasthan, the Thar Desert, which is twice the size of England, and full of camels and you know, subsistence farmers. So they'll come into the cities for Diwali. So you can imagine that you've got tens of millions of people adding to that population of 34 officially but probably about 40 million people in Delhi so it's just kind of nuts which is which is good and bad I mean you know the traffic is chockers Mm. but all they all go they all dress up and go to these sites so they'll go to Rajgat where um, Gandhi was cremated and it'll be full of Indian people visiting their own sites Mm. Um, the Kutab complex which is um, a UNESCO site, so there's a big minaret, a big uh, brick minaret, Kutab Minar, and other things to see within this complex, and it'll be full of Indian people in 
saris and beautiful Nehru jackets and this and that. So, And they all want to have their picture taken with you because a lot of these people, as I say, have come in from remote rural areas and they just don't see Westerners. So seeing tall white people and having a picture with them and taking them back to their village is quite a thing to do to show their friends, you know. Um, so, And there's no... There's no surreptitious reason for that. They just want to have their pitch taken with you. So you meet a lot of locals, <laughs> you know, whether you like it or not sort of thing. You know, everyone wants to talk to you and chat with you and talk English and and have their pitch taken with you. So the festival times and then, of course, November 23rd is the start of wedding season. Mm-hmm. So as you say, in November, which is a good time to be in North India, you come out of Diwali and straight into the wedding season, which goes on till March. And... You know, you'll just see weddings everywhere. I mean, tens of thousands. There'll probably be 20,000 weddings in in Delhi on a weekend. Yeah. So there's just weddings everywhere, celebrations, music, horses, you name it. And uh, it's not difficult to get an invitation to a wedding Mm. because it's prestigious. It's auspicious to have guests, you know, interesting guests. So that's another option. So so the festival uh, and the celebration, there's always – Hinduism has, has about a celebration a week, I think, a festival a week. So it's good and bad because it's, it's busier, but that's kind of good as well. Yeah. You know? No, that's great. Okay, um, let's talk about how to get to Delhi, I guess. How, how did you go about it most recently? Yeah, look, just about every airline you can name flies into Delhi. Um, obviously, it's such a massive hub for this, this massive population in India. Um, it's the capital, so whether you're flying Emirates, Qatar... British Airways, Singapore Airlines, they'll, they'll all fly into Delhi. Mm-hmm. Um, from Australia, we use um, Singapore Airlines, really, is, mm-hmm. is, the, is the, uh, the way in for us. Um, but from, from the rest of the world, just about everyone goes into Delhi. Um, quite interestingly, the Indira um, Gandhi International Airport, is this, is this quite, you know, quite well-organised, very efficient calm airport wow for the amount of people that i presume yeah the people go there it's always weird there because i mean the old airport used to be pretty crazy busy but for some reason every time i go through this international airport it's it's just calm and placid and your luggage just is there on the belt and you walk out and you're done you know so it's interesting. So it's it's an easy start. Yeah. No, that's nice. That's good to hear. Um, and what about getting around India? Well, the, the Golden Triangle. So we'll you know start in Delhi, um, Agra, Jaipur. It's actually quite easy to book, and it's common to book a car and driver. So you know if if you're a couple or a couple of solo travellers together or a small group or something, you could book a car. Mm-hmm. I'd probably you know you can book. A small four-wheel drive, which would be a sort of slightly smaller than a Prado Indian version of that. Um, I do think, you know, like even if there's two or three of you, like a minibus is sort of better because you've got luggage and things. And being in a car is quite a small space. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard to book a car driver, a minibus, and that's that's one way to do it. And they'll stay with you all the way around. So you can have the same driver. They'll stay in a guest house. You stay in your hotel. And that, if you're going to be in Agra for a couple of days, um, then Jaipur, they'll drive you all the way around. Mm. And then, of course, joining a tour. And I do think that um, that's a really good way to go here because 
it's not really small group touring that works here, I think. Mm-hmm. I think if you're in a group of 32, 34, it really works because India is a place with a lot of people and you can be in a big group, in a big coach. You know, So if you're in a 44, 47-seater with 30-something people, you can spread out. You'll be on the expressways. So the new roads in India which connect all of these towns mm. that we've cities that we've talked about um they're toll roads so basically the all the new roads the locals don't use because they can't afford it right okay so they're empty so oddly you get on these toll roads expressways and they're relatively empty um and i think just being in a group is is fun you know and a big group you can mix and match you can move around within the group find people you do like people you have breakfast with once and then possibly not and that's all pretty easy yeah um the other thing just to mention and is it's not exactly the the golden triangle but the train the tourist trains in india are really good because they move them at night and every day you get off and do something so you get off in the morning and because they're prestigious in indian society the the guides and everything you do in the day will be great so you could be in Agra, go to the Taj Mahal, etc. get back on the train. The train moves at night, and then the next day you're somewhere else. Then you come back for dinner, late afternoon, train moves at night, you're somewhere else. So that's a good way. And Palace on Wheels, Maharaja's Express, Deccan Odyssey are all North India train trips, so they're all relevant to this area, not exactly Golden Triangle, but do consider that as well. Yeah, that's some handy information for for people who are considering going to India and specifically the Golden Triangle. Um, what about some highlights from that area? Okay, yeah, let's go through this. So Delhi, um, stay in a stay in a good hotel. Look, even in a good hotel, and it's it's the one rule for India, and. It's like I don't want to scare people listening to this, but I sort of do want to scare people listening to this. It's all about water. Mm-hmm. So even in good hotels, you come in and there's bottles of water there, from, which are filtered water, not bottled water. Even that, in a good hotel, five-star hotel, I put in the kettle and boil it. Okay. Okay. I've only ever showered from the neck down in India. Don't get in your face. It's still the same water source. And even though, for example, I know that the Taj Hotel Group have triple osmosis filters coming in and they're very careful with them. So, you know, it is filtered water, but I'm still careful, not just with that group. All of, all of the hotels just get into that practice. You're only going to be there for a couple of weeks. Just be careful. Don't get anything. It's all about water. Big wet salads that have been washed, just don't. Um, even if you buy bottled water in the street, make sure the little tabs are joined yep. and it's not a refilled bottle that someone's collected. Just be neurotic about water and you'll be fine. So Delhi, firstly, we're going to be careful about water. Um, Rajgat, which is where Delhi, uh, where um, Mahatma Gandhi was cremated, as, as I mentioned, you know, the Gandhi story is so important to the build-up of independence, 1947, 48, that period where India got its independence back. Gandhi, of course, didn't survive to see independence. He was a Hindu 
leader who was assassinated by Hindus, mm. you know, who thought that he hadn't been tough enough in the deal that was done to get his independence back. It's all part of partition, you know, when the country separated and Muslim followers were sent from the country to, you know, what is now Pakistan and Bangladesh. And that is fundamental to understanding, well, the world today, but India today. So Rajgarh gives you an, an intro into all of that. Mm. Uh, Humayun's tomb is a really good place to visit because it's a nice, gentle walk. Humayun's tomb is sort of the precursor. It's almost like a template for the Taj Mahal, okay. uh, built in red sandstone primarily. And it's the start of understanding then this Mughal influence. So then you've got, particularly from Uzbekistan, the Islamic you know, invasion into the north of India and pushing down and bringing uh, different architecture, bringing this um, uh, Islamic the balance that you get in that Islamic architecture. So Hermione's tomb is a good start into all that. Mm. The Kutub complex, which I've mentioned, UNESCO, another UNESCO site, Q-U-T-U-B, has uh, lots of interesting architecture and a lovely place to walk around. Uh, National Museum for sure, because it takes you back to the Indus Valley, to the start of the civilization here. Um to the Harappan culture of that time, you'll see little figure yoga figures um, f- over four thousand years old in yoga positions, just mm. done in terracotta. Wow. Fantastic! So, uh, really worth going to the National Museum for gra- for a grounding in it all. Um, for something contemporary, for foodies, Indian accent rex- restaurant, uh, which is in the Lodi Hotel, L O D H I Hotel. Indian accent is consistently voted in the top 10 wow. restaurants in India, quite often number one. Mm-hmm. And it does a sort of mini degustation, mini banquet lunch. Um, you're probably looking at about $110, $120 US dollars um, worth every cent. Okay. From the first, you get the first little soup comes in a tiny little. It's about the size of my index finger. <laughs> um, a little earthenware um, vase, really, with okay. a handle. And from the first sip, you go, "Well, this is going to be special." It's a fantastic two-hour lunch. So Indian accent must do. And bookings would be required. For bookings that. required. Yeah. Bookings required. So it's one thing to get organised mm. and to put, you know two and a half hours aside in one day to just sit there quietly and have this beautiful little lunch. Mm. That's fantastic. So that's Delhi mm-hmm. uh, and traffic, you know, just hanging around. It's fantastic. <laughs> then we move on to Agra. It's about a half day's trip to Agra in the car or the coach if you're touring. So you probably leave at like 8.30, 8 o'clock in the morning and get there for late lunch. You know, just taking it easy. There's places to stop on the way. You know, there's there's always roadside pull-in motel places with good little shops, the chai masala teas, fine to drink. Anything that's been boiled, obviously, is mm-hmm. good. Um, and stick to bottled drinks and whatever else. But, yeah. you know, you can stop on the way. Agra, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of tricks here. I think that um, Metabarg 
which is M-E-H-T-A-B and then another word, B-A-G-H, is really important to this because the Taj Mahal, as we all can see the picture in our heads, I'm yeah. sure. You can see the picture of the white building with the four minarets. That's actually the back, essentially that's the back of the Taj Mahal. Okay. So when it was built, um, the Taj, which is, you know, this sort of uh, mausoleum uh, in memory of, you know, a great ruler's wife, as, as we know, the front of it is actually facing the Yamana River because the river systems were the transport systems. Mm-hmm. So that was the Taj Mahal from there. Now, this garden I mentioned, Metab Gar, is over the other side of the river. So you go around over the bridge to the garden, the other side. So essentially, you're seeing the Taj Mahal from the front mm-hmm. over the river. And it's a fantastic view. So uh, it's a good sunset view. So I think go and see sun, see the Taj, the back, which is the front yep. from the garden, the other side of the river. Uh, and then for me, it's still an early morning, despite the air quality, which we can talk about in a moment. It's still an early, an early morning visit's good. So I reckon Eastgate, get there early, you know, sort of when it opens. Getting into the Taj is interesting because there's about a kilometre, more than a kilometre of sort of walk in there. You can get electric golf buggies. So if you're less mobile um, or find that walk a little bit daunting, you can jump in a buggy and pay. But the walk down, you know, there's lots of sort of stores and things. It's all paved. It's pedestrian apart from the electric buggies and the odd police car or something. But it's it's a safe sort of long walk down there. And I think setting the scene for it's actually quite good by walking and approaching. It's sort of it's part of your build up to it. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one trick when you get it. You get in through the main gate, and then there's a sandstone building with an arch, and the Taj Mahal's the other side of that. And if you look, there's a line that comes out. They call it unveiling the bride. So if you see this line, black line in the paving, if you go. 100 metres away from this gate and you just walk straight up that line, gradually the Taj Mahal is unveiled through this arch. Mm. And it's really beautiful to do that quietly on your own. Mm. Um, the Taj just uh, is is busy, you know. I mean, But I think having the people there makes it. Yeah. We've just come out of the COVID years. Do you reckon that the tourist numbers are back to what they were yes. beforehand? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yes, across the board. Yeah. It's just normal. Everything's just normal, crazy normal. Um, the interesting thing about the Taj Mahal for me is because, well, is scale because suddenly you look up on the little platform, you go, gee, those are people. So the scale is mm. massive. You know, we all know the picture, but when you walk up to it and you realise that these ants crawling around it are people, mm. you go, wow, that's, that's something else. But the interesting thing is that the, the symmetry of the architecture, everybody just walks down the ponds, past the Diana, you know, everyone has the picture on the Diana bench where yeah. she sat near Princess Diana sat alone and da da da. So that you just walk down there, it's just a cram of people. But, you know, the whole point of the Taj is that it's set in a symmetrical garden. And if there's one path which runs parallel either, well, two paths, either side of that, which will be pretty well empty. And then there's another path which is another 20 metres to the side and and you'll be there on your own. So you can be 40 metres to one side or the other and you're on your own looking at the Taj Mahal, you know, sort of framed by trees, which is a really pretty view. So 
I sort of encourage people to move out to the side and just have a quiet moment mm. because it's you don't have to be in the crush all the time, you know. Mm. Um, I will say to people, when it's really busy, you go up onto the platform and uh, you put your little shoe covers on. When you get inside the mausoleum, it, it can be really crushy. So if you're sensitive, I mean, you're inside the Taj Mahal, so that's... Mm. That's amazing. But if you're really sensitive to being in a crush with a lot of people and you're there on a busy day, I'd have a big think about whether you actually want to go inside the building or not. I mean, the whole point is seeing it from the outside. So it's just a little warning for people that it can get very squashy in there. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a bit panicky with those situations and the whole world's trying to jam into this room, have a think about it. Yeah. Anyway, or time your, time your moment. Yeah, okay. Um, Agra's Red Fort. Don't bother with the Red Fort in Delhi. Go to the one in Agra. The mm. Red Fort there is a super visit. Beautiful to walk around. Worth the time. And then a, a real favourite thing for me is about an hour out of Agra is a place called Fatipa Sikri. Mm. This is where Akbar the Great, the great mogul ruler, amazing man, uh, obviously... A Muslim, um, but brought up in a Hindu family. He ended up having a, a Hindu wife, a Muslim wife, and a Christian wife. Would be pretty busy household, I think, mm. amongst his wives, I should say. In the 16th century, at Fatipa Sikri, which is a red fort that you can walk around, there's a room there. There's a separate building there, which is like it's probably my favourite room in the world because Akbar the Great got together all the religious thinkers from all these religions. So Hinduism, Jainism, which we've mentioned, yeah. Christianity, um, obviously Islam, astrology, mystic thinkers, Zen thinkers, and they spent two years trying to find commonality in their religions mm. to form a new world religion that they could all adhere to. Brilliant. You know, I mean, I love that whole idea. And they lived and worked together for two years. Yeah, um, Akbar Unfortunately, yeah, died soon after that, and it never, never got its roots in the ground. Yeah. But um, Fatipa Sikri is an amazing place to visit, so that's good. Oh, hold on! Now we're in Jaipur, <laughs> Amber Fort. Obviously, Ganesh Gate in the Amber Fort, amazing because Jaipur famous for the cutting of semi-precious stones. When you cut them, you use water to reduce the heat. You then filter that water and end up with colors that you know are applied to plaster so the colors on the Ganesh gate are semi-precious stones lapis lazuli and rubies and whatever else that's what the paint is stunning Um, inside there in the evening there's a restaurant called um, 1135 AD which is the Maharaja's golden room eating restaurant now, so you can book and go in there in the evening when Amber Fort is shut. That's pretty amazing. They pick up in Mahindra Jeeps, four-wheel drives, and drive you up into the fort at night when it's all lit wow. and you're the only ones in there. That's cool. Uh, Jaipur, fantastic for fabrics, cotton, block printing. So they cut wooden blocks, print the fabrics by hand, make stuff up, measure you, make it up, deliver it to the hotel that evening, and it fits. Um, jewelry shops, obviously we've talked about that. Um, the big bazaar is Bapu Bazaar, which is which is a phrase that's common in Indian cities. But the one in the bazaar in Jaipur is fantastic. 
you know, I, I don't feel threatened in India. I'm very happy for people to walk around in India. You know, like it's just, it's a very easy place to be. Um, just another little mention because the Marigold Hotel, of course, has an influence there. Mm. There's a place called Katu Kavali, which is a guest house hotel. So $40 a night. It's not actually the Marigold Hotel, but it's where they filmed the BBC series called The Real Marigold Hotel. Oh, okay. Um, where they celebrities stayed and it was it was very famous, you know, this series. They stayed there and they lived there. So you can actually stay in this place, but also it's it's inexpensive and it's very well placed for all the bazaars and the city palace and things you'll want to do in Jaipur. Mm. Um, when you get into the city palace, which is, you know, you've got to allow three hours. It's huge, but there's some really nice fabric shops and shops in there as well. Mm. So particularly Anoki, which sells very fine clothing. Mm-hmm. So... City Palace, give yourself time for that. And carry cash, I presume, for those. Yeah, those the money thing's interesting because, look, the main shops, you can use your credit card or your debit card, um, travel card, without fear. Yeah. Um, the sort of shops where I've mentioned where there's tailoring or there's jewellery, it's no problem using a card. Um, ATMs, easy. Mm-hmm. Use your card, credit card, debit card. You'll get up to ten thousand rupees. Just if you put in twenty thousand, it'll it'll say that it's declined, but it's only the amount. It doesn't always tell you why it's declined, by the way. So I'd get out ten thousand rupees at a time, which is two hundred Australian dollars. Okay. Um, use your card for that, and then you've got that's a fair bit of money. Yep. So tipping people, you know. 100 rupees is $2. Buying thing off hawkers, it'd be 200 rupees, 300 rupees, 400 rupees, you know, four, six, eight dollars for a little bag or a book or this or that, whatever you're buying, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the sort of amounts you're looking for. And then the biggest stuff you can use your card for in a shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, have money in your pocket. Yeah. And, and tipping's part of the culture there. My, I really suggest to people be prepared to tip because it will enhance your holiday. Mm. You know, leaving people, you know, you come up and you shake their hand and you leave a hundred rupees in their hand, or you know, if they've been fantastic, five hundred rupees, which is ten dollars, which is an enormous amount. But if you're leaving a hundred, two hundred dollars, two hundred rupees in their hand, two or four Australian dollars, you know, it's. It cements the relationship. Mm. It's an acknowledgement. It's respect. It's not about the money. Mm. And it, you know, and their feeling towards you, your feeling towards them. It's 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 not about the money, but tipping will really enhance your trip. Mm. Um, avoiding tipping, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't fit India. That's just my opinion and my advice. Is that if you put, you know. A hundred or a couple of hundred dollars aside in your head for tipping, you'll have the best time ever, and yeah. you'll feel very connected to the people that you meet. Even if you give them a five hundred, you know, I mean, the worst case scenario is that they're going to go home and feed their families. Yeah. You know, I know what I would think of as you know, middle class, well earning Indian people who who are 
desperately trying to buy a two-bedroom apartment, a two-room apartment, sorry, mm. not two-bedroom, but a two-room apartment for their families, you know, with two kids, two of them, two kids. And for them, a two-room apartment is, is the dream. So, look, mm. yeah. Okay. What else? We're now all familiar with this Delhi Agra Jaipur. You know, the, there's, a, there's a good argument. Well, I always like to add Udaipur okay. to the end of that. This is the city with – so from Jaipur you travel on to – look, you could add Udaipur or Jaipur or even Varanasi to this. Jodhpur, I should say, or Varanasi to this. But I, I think Udaipur is a fabulous finish to the Golden Triangle Plus. Mm. It's the city of, you know, white palaces around a lake. It's just that bit calmer, water gardens – palace um nice little shopping areas good really good quality fabric shops and you can just sort of car you know it's just a calmer place it's a good note to end on so i like to add udaipur as a plus to the golden triangle yeah um that's it's it's the right way to finish nice okay all right now on to some likes and dislikes i'm sure there's lots of things that you like about india because you keep going back there and i like obviously i like the culture i like the complexity i like the chaos um i like the humor you know indians are funny they're respectful these are sweeping statements of course Mm. even you know i was there 2013 we're talking about when australia won the world cup cricket against india and the next day you think well it's been but Everyone coming up, shake where you're from, Australia. Oh, shaking hand. Oh, you know, best team won, and you know, very interesting. Good losers, and love to talk about the game, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I like all of that. I like, you know, 330 million Hindu gods. You know, you get these main deities, and then they've all got ten manifestations, and then they've got, you know, I like the complexity mm. and the Indian mind, which can place rapid chess in the sports pages of a newspaper next to Formula One because it's like the same thing and you know I find all that just so interesting and I I do you know I'm not blind to the financial poverty but you know I mean richness and poverty are the two words that play in India um, richness of culture you know they're oh yes it's such a rich place and we think about colours and culture and belief and you know, the fabric of society, how they are connected to their local area and their families and extended families, you know. And I'm watching a friend of mine there really looking after his father, Indian friend, who's mm. who's not well and aged, you know, as an example to, to his children saying, well, this is, this is what happens. They don't have aged care like we in the Western world do. Mm. You know, you stay in the family and he's showing that I'm looking after my dad, brackets, this is what I expect, you know, you to do for me. So it's this passing on of um, lifestyle and belief, I suppose. So I like all of that. Um, and I say I like the chaos. I find it very relaxing. Mm. And I like wow. the fact that mm. things don't always happen. It's a good lesson for me. They don't always happen in a linear fashion. You know, we, we're so A, B, C, D, E. And, uh, you know, things can happen. Things are just happening in a random order and then suddenly it all comes together and you go well that's interesting (laughs) you know that we don't see them happening in a logical way to 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 me and yet they are happening 
in a random way and then it all comes together and I like that it's good for, it's I like that it's good and I love the fact that people approach you talk to you want to be photographed with you and you know there's curiosity yeah curiosity good word yeah okay any dislikes I'm sort of struggling you know I mean because the things you dislike you like I mean walking through the alleyways of old Delhi you know where there's odd smells and this and that mm. you know I mean you dislike some of the sights and things you see but then you know that is India yeah and that's just part of travel sometimes it's isn't part it? of travel so I'm struggling the traffic I mean you know you can have you can be driving up the wrong way of a street and all because it's quieter on the other side of the road. Literally, you cross the white lines and you're driving up the side of the street. And the car's coming towards you, pulling over to let you through. And you go, Why? You, this is nuts. So, the traffic you don't like, but you do like as well. Yeah. Um, crossing the road is one of those just walk out and they'll go around you things which you don't like, but that that's how it works. Yeah. Um, look, I just, I do think just health wise, you know, I, I don't like the fact that you can't just turn a tap on and the safe water, but you get used to it. And, you know, any cut or graze, wash, clean very quickly. So, yeah, I don't like the fact that you have to sort of be vigilant about that, but that's part of it too. Yeah. I was actually going to ask, I imagine India is very busy and the noise that would come from just the everyday sort of streets and things like that. When you're in a hotel, can you hear that noise? That no, no. Or? Well, no. It's it's a good question. Um, you know, the the good hotels are so well built. That, I mean, you can be in a room; it's completely silent. Yeah. It's like weirdly silent. Um, so, no, you you can be isolated from that. Just one experience in the in these little alleyways in Old Delhi, which we've just been talking about, which are crazy busy. You know, you can walk off the alleyway into a little. So there's little courtyards off, which are surrounded by buildings you know people's homes in these yeah. little two two room places i've said if you walk into those courtyards they're silent right you're about seven or eight meters from this the actual alleyway where there's people and bikes and everything going past and, you know this cobbler's been sitting there 40 years doing people's shoes and this person's been there for the, like it's just that but in the courtyard it'll be really virtually silent yeah. so there are really quiet spaces there as well but knowing hotels you're not you're fine you know and in the fabulous hotels the Taj group there's lots of palaces for example Jaipur you know the Jai Mahal palace is just amazing you know it's a converted um, Maharaja's palace Mm. and there's quite a lot of that so they're wonderful places to stay for their heritage and they're quiet yeah, that's good. I was I was going to ask about um, accommodation and the different sort of types that they have in India. I mean, there must be everything from, you know, the lower budget end up to the really expensive seven-star. Sure. Uh, yeah, topics. sure. Exactly right. No, you're right. Um, you know, three-star is not our three-star. You know, it'll be a pretty bare room. And I've got to say that you know, cleanliness is, is sort of an issue, you know. Um, I'd be... Th- so people might be struggling with three star. It'll be cheap, mm-hmm. but then, as I mentioned, the little havelis and so on, family run. Um, I mentioned the one in Jaipur, for example. So you can find accommodation for five hundred dollars a night, mm. Australian dollars. Um, so that that's all there. 
um, those will be in eight, ten room, look for the word Haveli, that which they use um, for those small guest houses. Mm-hmm. Um, that works well. So if it's a family run, that works well. Um, the the Fab Faber hotels I've mentioned, Converted Palaces and so on. The Taj Group, which I love because it's Indian-owned, started by the Tata family, famously because they took a, you know, one of the Tatas took exception to the fact that some of the, the fight of this best hotel in Mumbai didn't allow it, Indians in, it was for mm. white people. So he said, we'll start our own group. Of course, the Tata family make trucks, yeah. vehicles, steel, and the hotels really are, a lot of the profits from the hotels go into local community and projects. So the hotels are not exactly a play thing, but they're, you know, they're uh, they're not a massive profit center for the Tata Group. Mm. So uh, Taj Hotels, fantastic. Leela Oberoi, obviously, these groups. I mean, you're going to pay $500 a night for really good hotels. Yeah, you'll be comfortable for but, sure. Um, so you can mix that up with, with that and a bit of the family-run Havelis. Yeah. That's a pretty good suggestion. Look, uh, also, there are places uh, – look, I've got to say this. If if anyone gets sick in the Golden Triangle, it'll be in Agra. So Agra has a different history. Agra was is a, a Dalit town, which was, you know used to be untouchables. It was a, a town where – a city where the main industry was in leatherworks and, you know, hides, preparing, treating hides. A lot of those places were shut because of the pollution which was affecting the Taj Mahal. It has a different sort of history. And I have a, a fantastic Indian friend, Narendra Singh Rator Bawadi, who tells me that Agra is what it is because it has more aggressive water. Mm. It comes from different river systems. So um, Agra is is a different kettle of fish. And I think they're, even the sort of convention, businessy hotels are not a bad option there because if anyone gets sick, it will be in Agra. Yeah. So Agra, because of the aggressive water, it's a slightly different thing. I'm a little, just be a bit more cautious there. Yeah. And um, if you do get sick there, do you have any tips about what people should maybe pack? Yes, um, yes, I do. Um, Firstly, there is a product called Travelan, which is a sort of kind of prepares your internal work. So it's something you take before meals. And Mm. and I've done quite a lot of investigation to that and 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 a lot of people using it and it's working. So Travelan is something to read about and think about. It may or may not suit you. But... The absolute go-to in my travel bag is ground cumin. Uh, a quarter of a teaspoon of ground. If you're feeling, uh, it's good for stability. Let me put it like that. If someone's feeling a bit, mm, I don't know if I've mm. done the wrong thing. A quarter of a teaspoon of ground cumin on your tongue, and just wash it down with bottled water. Mm. I, I pretty well promise you that in ten to fifteen minutes you'll go. Mm. That's interesting. I feel a lot better. Mm. So the ground cumin is a good trick if you're just catching things. But take, I'd take a broad-based antibiotic. I'd take, in Australia we can get this EDP powder, which is an antiseptic powder. Fantastic. Put it straight on cuts. Any cuts, anything that might get infection, 
you know, wash it carefully, you cover things, take plasters to cover things, keep things covered if you've got a wound, if you've got internal stuff, you know, obviously take your gastro stops remote in whatever suits you, those sorts of things. But a good a good little first aid kit's really important. Mm, always, yeah. Okay. Always. Well, um, was there anything else that you thought we haven't covered? We've sort of covered I, a lot of ground. We have covered a lot of ground. Um, I think it, just just to say this, that it, for the full experience, we've talked about food. Um, and I do think with tours where foods and meals are included are a good thing. Okay. Because you can be pretty sure those restaurants are going to be safe, that they use them a lot. Mm. And, you know, if you've got tour groups going through a restaurant um, and everyone gets sick, they're not going to use that restaurant, Mm. right? So that's a pretty good guide if meals are included. Um, Doses for breakfast, masala dosa for breakfast. You can drink the chai tea, chai masala tea, get into the food, get into the music. And... I'm I'm very into classical Indian music, but I don't expect people to start there. I'll give you a tip. Ravi Shankar, we've all heard of Ravi Shankar, the sitar maestro. His daughter, two daughters actually, Nora Jones and Anushka Shankar. Anushka Shankar is a fantastic sitar player who also works with lots of other people. Nora Jones, obviously, Sting, you name it. So if you've got Spotify, look for This Is Anushka Shankar and it'll introduce you gently to a contemporary version of the Indian sound. So I think play the music, eat the food. Um, you know, there's plenty of good good reading, good books on India, good novels. Read the fiction, watch Monsoon Wedding, and you're off. Wonderful. Thank you so much for um, chatting to us about the Golden Triangle in India, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks. <laughs>